Hello, and welcome back to another episode of 52 and 52, a podcast where we watch at least one movie a week for every week in the year and record an episode about it. Today, we're going to be talking about The Disaster Artist, and we're joined again by our, our buddy Graham, who's been on a couple of podcasts with us. Uh, Graham, how you doing, man? I am doing great, Anthony, Josh. Great being here, guys. Thanks yeah. for having me on. You Thank guys are great. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate. We'll see. Unbiased, we'll see. unbiased perspective. We'll, we'll see how much you like Anthony. Maybe he, yeah. he might not have. He might not have favorite good things to say about your favorite movie. But we'll see. I, I only <clears throat> I only like Anthony for his great abilities to reason and arguments. So I'm sure I'm going to come out. <laughs> he better prove to me though that if we have a different perspective, he better prove to me why he's right. I'm ready for it. All right. All right. Um, no tall task here. Yeah. So so the disaster artist is. Um, movie by james franco about uh the room which is like a cult classic for being a trash movie um graham graham is a very big fan josh has seen it once i think and i've never seen the source material um obviously like i've seen clips and like through uh culture social media like i know about the movie and i've seen stuff from the movie but i've never sat down and watched it because i just I have no desire to. Well, so, like, um, well, I have a question for you about that because, as, as as our listeners probably know, like, it's a movie that's well, like you said, well known for being like a, almost a so bad it's good movie. I'm not yeah. a person that really is into that. I feel like you you sometimes yeah. might go to like a definitely you, you might sometimes yeah. go to like a bad action movie and get something out of it. So, yeah. what would you say was uh, where, where would you say your feelings are on like the so bad it's good type of thing in general? Uh. I mean, I feel like we've you and I have seen enough movies that I've been like, this movie is so bad it's good, or I wish this movie was worse, so right. that would be better. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I'm always down uh, for that. I, I think. I mean, sometimes maybe it's like you want to see like a serious movie, or you want to see something like legitimately good, whatever, whatever. But like, there's movies that you and I have gone to see like that we've hoped were bad, basically. Yeah. Um. And I just this is I mean, like you said, most of the time it's like an action movie or something, you know, and there's at least some value you can get from that. Uh, but for like the room is just a collection of scenes that like are is not an action movie. You know, right. what I mean, I just I've never had an interest in actually like sitting down and watching. it. And what's so uh, and what's what the room is so well known for is that it kind of took off and it's they've done over the years. It's become a big thing. They do uh, midnight screenings around the country. Uh, Tommy Wiseau, the writer, director, creator, producer of it, financier of it, goes to a lot of these screenings. But because of that, like, and I don't know exactly all the legal ramifications behind it. It is very hard to find this movie online. Uh, Graham has a mint condition DVD that he just showed us a minute ago, and so <laughs> Had that's to take one it out of its case. It. But I, I don't even own a DVD player. So like, when I went to watch it earlier this year because I wanted to watch it before it came out, I was like. Uh, Anthony, I might need you to procure this for me by some other <laughs> some other means because I'm not buying a DVD player just to watch a trash movie. And so Anthony did that, and I went to go look for it after <laughs> right before I saw the Disaster Artist just to refresh myself on a few things. I think I just totally deleted it off my computer because I hated the experience of watching it so much. And it's the wrong way to watch it. I'll admit that, and I'm sure Graham would agree with this. Like sober by yourself on a laptop in your apartment probably isn't the best way to enjoy the room, but it was the only option I had. And I just, I took me two sittings. I just couldn't get into it, but I was still pretty excited for this movie because I like the people involved. Anthony, maybe not so much on that count, but, uh, Graham, can you explain your relationship with the room before we kind of jump into the disaster artist? Wow. Okay. I first saw the room, I want to say in 2008, um, I was shown to me by a friend in high school and, and my first reaction was kind of like, okay, this, this is like, 
I get it. But then as more I like learned about the legacy, I think I think it's it's clear that you have to understand the legacy of the movie and what it stands for. I, and I think the, the disaster artist did a good job at capturing the essence of that. It's about a guy living out his dream, even if it's like not the way it actually goes as poorly as he possibly can have it go. But if you have any, either of you guys read the disaster artist, the book by Sestero. No, but I, I just I kind of want to, though. <clears throat> so a few things that they don't touch on in the in in the movie that I thought were necessary for them to touch on really give coming kind of Tommy Wiseau a lot more life and understanding. He actually ran a huge clothing store in San Francisco and that's where most of the money came from. He was from like Lithuania and worked in Paris and then finally got to the United States and but he had made all his money kind of selling light wash jeans and then he got it used that money to pull together and get a big clothing store in San Francisco and then they got six it's a big flagship clothing store. I wish I could remember the name off the top of my head. But that is what you know kind of gave him everything to trigger his dream. But then as Greg Sestero tells it, when he meets him, it's a guy full of mystery. And that's really what kind of made me fall in love with everything was reading The Disaster Artist. And then the more I read about the legacy of it, the showings around the country, how Tommy Wiseau took so long to own that it was, you know, a really bad movie made me really, really like it. Now it's to the point where I can quote it pretty much verbatim. And and I, th- I know that you guys say that with, with a bad movie, there's not a lot of redeeming qualities in it. When the in the room, it it finds ways to consistently top how bad the last scene was. <laughs> whether it's whether it's an additional storyline or the changing of a character, there's a there's a character played that I think Nathan Fielder plays, who's the psychologist. Mm-hmm. Pete, you play a psychologist with, and he he was fired midway through the set, and then Tommy Wiseau thought they could just replace him with an entirely different actor with different set of hair, and that people would totally just know who he was. <laughs> Those things are kind of what give the room its its legacy, so to speak. Decisions that any normal casting director, director, production company would never make. The shooting in a structured alleyway when there is one outside. That was a big thing. The mounting of the camera. They had a standard camera and an HD camera mounted on top of each other. It was really kind of its first everything that they, they jerry rigged these two cameras together that made it so expensive tommy insisted on shooting in hd and standard 35 millimeter when there was no need to shoot in in hd and the movie's never even been released on blu-ray all that money was just absolutely wasted and those are things that just give at, like the room its legacy it's kind of become a bible on how not to make a movie and that's really I okay mean, well no so, so, so you obviously yeah, know, you obviously know a lot about this uh what did you did you get anything out of disaster artists already knowing all of this stuff we should we should say i don't even know if it, we said at the beginning like it's it, th- this one was directed and stars james franco as tommy dave plays greg sistero a lot of other famous people come in but it seems like it's a fairly straightforward retelling i know the book kind of jumps between a couple different timelines but it seems like you already know everything in it so did you still enjoy the process of this movie when it's conveying a bunch of stuff you already you just already know I did. If there's anything that I was actually disappointed in with the movie, it's that it wasn't long enough. I, I, there are so many important bits that are left out of the book about how, I mean, there's the whole aspect of Sestero's relationship of, of, of Johnny with Johnny is one that's entirely manipulative and that's not really conveyed well in the movie while, while it's there in the book. Tommy definitely took advantage of Greg in real life and in, in his youthfulness and his dream. And he used him also as kind of a launching point for his own career because Sestero had had minor success and Wiseau had not had really any success despite giving this a go for 10 years. And that's really not conveyed very well. I urge anyone out there to listen to, to read the book. 
if you can't read the book, listen to it on audio tape because Sestero does a perfect impression of Wiseau's voice. But you really understand how creepy of a relationship this this really was. I mean, there are so many anecdotes in the book that that where Tommy would follow his girlfriend and him around. They'd come home and Tommy would always ask what they were doing, where they kind of, you know, inferred that in the book. But you never really got the sense of how creepy of a guy Tommy was during this time. Um, I, I really urge anyone to read the book. And I think that's why I liked the movie so much was because I knew a hundred percent like what would be in the movie because reading the book you're you're enamored page for page it's 300 pages and and it's one of the best books about a movie i've ever a movie production that i've ever read and that's probably why i enjoyed the movie so much because i knew what was going to happen if i hadn't read the book i probably would be like oh wow this is too unbelievable unbelievable to even be true um so i think with that being said you you really have to have an impression of what the movie's going to be about the disaster artist but even a casual fan of the room can really like it because why so is just such a character and the legacy of him going around. And for years, he even said, this has got to be a, this is a black comedy. When, when, when the, when the hate really came out in full force saying, Oh, this is the worst movie ever. He tried to get in front of it and say, Oh, you don't all understand. This is a black comedy. It's not supposed to be serious movie. (laughs) That those are all things that are part of the legacy And, and knowing everything is how you, I guess what I'm getting at is you have to know really the last 10 years of the legacy of the room leading to this point to fully enjoy it at its finest, which at the end of the day is probably the downfall with having a movie like this, because it's not super likable to just the casual viewer, unless you fully are invested in the room. Well, so for this movie to be considered a good movie, I would say like, I mean, should it, it, it should it have to work for people that don't know anything like Anthony? I mean, Anthony, did you want another 30 minutes? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think we needed another. I don't think we needed another thirty minutes. Well, so, 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 did you did you dislike the movie, or did you just knowing you wouldn't like it as much as Graham? What what are your feelings? We haven't really heard from you. Um, I mean, I just it was fine. I, <laughs> I it's just one of those things that like I I didn't care because the source material doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, I thought there was some interesting stuff in it. Uh, I thought Dave Franco was actually like really good. Uh, I don't like James mm-hmm. Franco. Like at all? <laughs> oh so, man, <laughs> um, it, that definitely I, could I, play a part. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's one of those things where, like, I like I know, like I've heard clips of Tommy's voice, and like I've seen clips from the movie before. Um, and then obviously, like Franco's like doing like a trying to do a spot on impression, and I think it's fairly good. But I just it's one of those things where I just don't care uh, as much. Um, and the the other thing you mentioned about like how creepy Tommy was, I think they intentionally tried to play that very soft because I don't think they wanted that to be like part of the movie. Like I think it was just sort of like these two guys have this relationship and this is how it all led them to make the movie. Because like I think if you do this thing where like you're painting him as like, oh, he's super creepy and maybe it's fair to paint him that way. That like it sort of takes away from everything else. I I think that's what would have happened if they did it that way. Well, I think they don't. I, I think the movie doesn't want to be like totally just laughing at him. Like they, I mean, sure. And and, and they want to show. They want to kind of. I mean, they had to get his life rights from him, and I'm sure they were somewhat charmed by him. And they're like, we don't want to make this guy look totally awful. But and that's why, like Graham said, you can infer that there's like a lot more, and they kind of imply sure. it, but they they don't go all the way in. I think I think the movie is a fun enough watch and. A pleasurable, enjoyable enough. I mean, I, I did like it, but I, I would agree with those who criticize it and saying like, "Hey, you could have probably even made it darker and still like well, had it be fun at the fun parts." Well, that's what I. That's that's where I am kind of confused because if Franco and Dave Franco didn't want 
to hurt Wiseau's feelings and do like a to really portray how creepy and uh, <laughs> predatory he was, so to speak, and 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 all these things. Then how was Greg Sestero, who's still his friend after 20 years, was so comfortable just writing every single detail about him in and everything that went down in the disaster artist? I mean, they to to have it downplayed in the movie when the two people don't really have a relationship with him and the book is kind of more stronger on its take. I kind of didn't really get because at least you should be faithful to the source material. That's but but back to what Anthony was saying, I think we all kind of are on the same page that how much you like the movie clearly comes with how much you know about it and how much you like quote unquote the room. Well, I know a couple sure. other people. I know a couple other people that like are almost that are just as, probably just as big of fans as you of this are and were like are so protective of it that they probably were overly critical and didn't like it. So I mean, I think it can go a couple other ways for people that are just like so familiar with it and have Definitely. a very specific relationship with it. But maybe the people that are going to get the absolute most out of it are the people who are just like you, but maybe not critical in the way that those other people were. But yeah, I, 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 but I, I think that's an interesting point you make in that I've watched him like the press tour for this, and I think Tommy's just enjoying being in the spotlight. And I don't think he yeah. would, I, I actually don't think he would have taken it that personally if they had made him like 15, 20% creepier and made it darker. And I think he's just enjoying all the attention that comes with it because, I mean, at, like this movie's largely about the guy that's like striving for stardom and genuinely wants yeah. that. And I think, like, I, he, he put out the tweet today where the day, the day we're recording this, they announced that it's getting a wide release. I don't know for how long, but I mean, that's the thing where he paid to keep it in theaters for what, two weeks? for oscar eligibility purposes yeah and 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 now it's actually getting that long run without the money having to come out of his pocket to keep it in theaters and so he's he's just thrilled about that and that's it probably doesn't happen unless the that probably doesn't happen at this point in time if the disaster artist doesn't get made i'd say it's kind of this convolutes of events leading that to happen so i think they could have gone darker if they wanted to and they they didn't write the script so i don't know exactly how that comes about yeah so so the guys that were the two guys that wrote the script right these are the guys that wrote 500 days of summer the two John Green movies, yeah. uh, Paper Towns and Fault in Our Stars, Spectacular it's Now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then this, it, it, it's kind of weird for them to be involved with this project, I feel like. Um, I think they just really and, liked it. and they. I, yeah, no. Um, well, the other thing is like – so like Franco and Rogan and all those guys, like they're just like fucking like potheads, right? And like <laughs> they're like they watch the movie. They're probably like high as fuck every time they watch the movie. <laughs> hey, and Franco's like, more than just that. He's also yeah, a sure. former Yale professor. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, and so like – and so like I feel like they're like – their in their like vision of Tommy is like so like airy and stuff that they and I think it's also I, I, and people have talked about it before it's also like Franco sort of sees himself in Tommy a little bit in terms of like trying to be this all creative guy to like just sort of do something on your own and create something from like nothing because he's I low think, key had like a super weird career where he sure, like directs yeah. all these B movies and yeah. like stuff yeah. like that yeah yeah um so I think just more than anything he wanted to like take part of it and i and i, I don't know i mean i i think it was just a, something very personal to to franco too well i agree it's weird for those guys to write it but like i'm sure that it, 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 you, you probably enjoyed this script more than you would have if seth rogan had wrote it so yeah maybe. it would have been fucking trash if seth rogan had wrote it. <laughs> Anthony, take, take. anthony's on high on seth rogan these days if you couldn't i can't um <laughs> sorry seth rogan's still high <laughs> uh, but, but but no but yeah so i uh, I, I agree. It's interesting, and like, I, it's, it's a, I think it's a better mix of perspectives for, for sure than you would have gotten if it was just totally those guys doing it. You have these guys with, that come at it from a different perspective, and 
uh, and write this movie, and I think that's good. And I think they they do infuse it with a, with a, with a lot, with a good amount of heart. And I think like you mentioned that um, my favorite part of it was Dave Franco too. Like I've been a Dave Franco fan uh, for a while. Your favorite and, part of this movie was Dave Franco. Uh, oh, oh, sorry. One of them. Yeah. Dave Franco. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, no, no. Sorry, sorry. I mean, I, I did like sorry. James Franco's performance too, but I mean, yeah, yeah. that's. I think there's more to what Dave Franco's doing. James Franco's doing a really good impersonation, but and I it, and it doesn't feel like a cheap imitation. But I think he does. You really feel like you really feel what Greg's going through, and like he's really conflicted because he gets this. This guy's done a lot for him, and like we said, they might not have shown the manipulation as much as they could have, but you do feel like you do see that you do see it somewhat, and he feels somewhat indebted to this guy, and he knows he could be off doing different things and i i appreciated the conflict that they showed with him and i think that 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 was what what, that was what moved me about the movie more than anything yeah i think greg's character like in real life is probably the more interesting person right there's like more depth to him than tommy probably because tommy is just like you're not going to get anything tommy's had the more interesting life but greg might be the more interesting person like greg yeah because like greg is sort of like normal but also like the fact that he sort of like was manipulated by Tommy and then sort of in the middle of like, Hey, I'm going to be a star in this movie and like him not being able to see that it's like trash. And then, you know, having this relationship with this girl and like living with like all this, like we- he has such like a weird vibe about him that I think he w- he was more interesting than, than Tommy personally. Yeah. I, I really, <sighs> man, breaking down their characters is just, we, we have just wildly vivid <laughs> takes. I just, <laughs> Yeah, I do think that Greg Sestero's character is much more interesting when you think he's the typical ran away from home type of role, yeah. Yeah. you know, risked it all. And those things are – I think those are made for better Hollywood movies, so to speak. And so with not having that perspective of seeing that, you know, not having the knowledge that Greg ran away with this, you know, older man who's probably in his mid-40s and, and yeah. all those things, that kind of gives – you know, those are necessary parts of the drama. But when you – see, these are totally different – emotional connections in in these bits like you come away watching that scene and being like oh i what's he getting into but what but like reading it the way because sestero is writing the disaster artist you know so reading him tell it it's you're kind of being like he's kind of being like i had no idea what i was getting into he was like, how old was he? Like nineteen. I was being yeah. taken advantage of. Yeah, he had done a little modeling work and all that stuff, and and had been gotten a few parts, and he had got you know interest from a few agents and all that stuff. But once he told Tommy all that stuff, Tommy instantly made it a hundred percent his mission to convince Greg to come live with him. When he's like, oh, I've had an LA apartment for a few months. No one knows if that was even true. It, po- I mean, it possibly was, but all these things. It Greg made it very clear that Tommy had kind of a obsessive relationship with him after this sure. point. And the book does, like I keep saying, the, the the book does a good job of describing, you know, how Sestero felt at those times, and you just don't get that at all. I mean, you can see Dave Franco's portrayal that he feels very uncomfortable around James Franco in times in the movie, but you never really get the sense of dread that Sestero kind of conveys how they could yeah, lose it all yeah, at yeah, sure. time. You know, I mean, there were parts in the book where Sestero talks about how he would be out shopping and he would see Tommy following him from around the corner and all that stuff. I mean, I don't know how you'd get that. In, in a movie like this without making it actually kind of like a creepy movie and kind of ruining yeah. its entire premise. But sure. those are just those are kind of essential things to the whole story. When you look at their relationship over the last 20 years, it's kind of crazy all the up and downs they went through and the risks that Sestero, I mean, took in writing the book. I mean, he knew that he knew that Tommy Wiseau was kind of a off the rails type of guy. And he still named the book The Disaster Artist, which is 
a shot at Tommy saying that absolutely. And we can, we can disagree about where the name comes from, but I think he is referring to Tommy Wiseau as the disaster artist because he makes it very clear in the book that everything Tommy ever touches goes to shit. And that's just, that's just really not conveyed well in the movie. So if I have one gripe, it's kind of how the movie, you get this sense from the entire time of the movie that everything's going to turn out okay, and that's just not clear from the book at all. Well, I think it's sort it's sort of an ode to to the success, right? Like, sure. Despite their their everything going wrong and Greg's failed personal relationships and 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 acting because you know he didn't get to do the Malcolm in the Middle thing and whatever other jobs he probably lost out on because of Tommy and working on this movie, like. I don't know. I, I think it's sort of like them having an ode to like you can be successful, whatever. It, I think it's just a lighter take on what the actual story is, right? Like I'm sure you could do this movie the same way, but just like change, like just make it darker, and the, and then the whole feel of it is different without ultimately changing that much from what is actually shot and what's actually said, right? Yeah, what, which what is. A uh, tough middle ground. You, you got to find a good middle ground to make it appealing to everyone and please all the room fans who wanted every bit of that drama in there. One of, one of my favorite things, and I'm curious, um, there, I'm sure there was more of this in the book because I know we talked to a lot of people involved, but one of my favorite things that I wish there had been a little bit more of was just hanging out on set but not the scenes in which they're actually shooting the room. Like when they're – because you're talking about how like at one point Greg was maybe unaware of how bad it was ultimately going to turn out. Like he wasn't he wasn't totally sure about that. But when the actors are sitting around just talking about it, like you get the sense that they're kind of just happy to have a job. And like they might yeah. know that this guy's they might know that this guy's a little nutso. But I don't – but like you don't – but you realize at the at the scene of the premiere, they, they didn't realize like it was going to be this bad until they showed up to premiere. So I like when they're just kind of sitting around talking about like their experiences on the film set. You got the older actress saying like, look, the, the worst day on the movie set is still better than your best day anywhere else and all that kind of stuff. And I, I like getting a sense of like what these people are thinking about the experience because I don't really know a whole lot about that aside from interviews I've watched with Greg. And I, I know the guy that Seth Rogen played, uh, the script supervisor, like – eventually tried to assert that he was actually the real director of the movie and all that kind of happened too but i don't i don't really know that's one thing i think would have been kind of cool to see how all these other people that are just trying to make it who went on to do like absolutely nothing at least all the actors and how yeah. they kind of like ended up making how how they felt about the whole situation is um that i, I just thought that was an interesting thing that there could have been even more of like i i'm agreeing with i agree with you guys and that like hey maybe you could have like portrayed Tommy in a darker light, but if you wanted to just add something else to the movie, I think that's one thing maybe you could have done a little more of. Yeah, well, they had the one meta scene where they're like having lunch and they're like asking like Greg, like, what is like, what do you think the movie is about? And then the other lady is like, well, clearly it's about the universe and da da da. da and, <laughs> and it's like, it's so meta that it's like, I get it. Um, but the one thing, I think my favorite like part of the movie was. That like all like most of these people I feel were like I feel like were like no name people and like we've said they some of them didn't do anything else after this. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I think they really captured is like when they had the premiere, like everyone was like so happy they got to see themselves on a big screen. Like uh, Josh Hutcherson's character was like super jubilated. Uh, oh, hi, uh, Ari Gray, Ari Grainer, um, uh, even Dave Franco's character was like super happy they were finally on the big screen, and Tommy gave them that, you know, and I, I think that's it's pretty cool. 
Yeah, in the same way, I, I think that a lot of these people were living in ignorance because the yes, production yeah, had yeah. such a front of because of all the money that was put in by Tommy. It had such a front of oh, this would be handled, and then the actors were lulled into a sense of oh, there's no way all this stuff could go poorly if if <laughs> you know all this money's being put in. There's no way that we're going to be in this terrible movie or anywhere near the worst movie of all time. I mean, the set was. I mean. The book also makes clear that that Tommy, um, they had to close down production for a few days because uh, Mm -hmm. it got too hot and he wouldn't bring in um, enough fans to keep the enough water. He wouldn't even bring in all these things because he was trying to cut corners in these ways. So that's when kind of the production first got a sense that maybe they weren't really working with a guy who knew what was going on. But Sestero was in a rough place where as in all the actors kind of knew that they could only bring any problem that they had to him. And at the same time, he was trying to be loyal to Tommy, and he was in a middle ground where everyone trusted him, but he also knew kind of how bad it was going to be and never really had the heart to say to all these other actors, listen, you have a better opportunity, you need to take it because this is going to be bad. You brought up the <laughs> the, the point of uh, Ari Gaynor's character she, uh, plays Lisa, right? So Lisa is an interesting story that I feel very bad for the woman who played Lisa, because if you know it, it was like her only she's been she'd have been in a few other things had never really had a big break. She thought that this was her big break. Um, and I mean, there is there is some plenty of nudity of her and, and it is poorly shot nudity. It's some of the worst nudity that anyone could be in in a movie. And this movie is still aired in theaters across the country, the room, and people throw spoons at it. But they see these terrible sex scenes, three sex scenes in the first 20 minutes. And she has to sit there and act okay with it because at the same time it gave her her break. But she's mortified that all these people around the country have seen her naked and that it's in one of the worst movies ever. It's kind of that's kind of the experience in a microcosm of every single person who worked on the room because they all have their name attached to it even if they weren't solely responsible for how bad it was, but they get a lot of the blame for yeah. And And she is a girl who I'm, I'm sure has gone through maybe a few years of therapy because there was a time where she wouldn't show up to the production. She wouldn't show up to the, the, um, the showings around the country. And now she's kind of, you know, been okay with it now that it's been a decade. Um, but definitely was a rough situation where, where just because, this is where we get into a different territory just because she consented to be on screen for this. No one could have known that it'd be around the country and that there would be a movie coming out based on the movie where she was kind of like, we know the stereotype with Ari Gaynor. She's, she's kind of aloof, you know, and, and to have her even portrayed like that as if she was kind of, you know, ignorant because from all accounts, the, the girl who played Lisa did know that this was going to be bad, but she was caught between a rock and a hard place of knowing that this may be her only shot at a big break. And if she didn't do it, yeah. who knows if she would get another and, shot. And they didn't have the, the one thing we didn't like when you're shooting all these scenes in a movie, you don't know like what scenes are actually going to make it to the final cut. Right. And, like we, we sort of jumped this, like I think it was eight month time frame from when production ended to when the, the premiere happened. Right. And, like, you don't know what Tommy is doing cutting the movie, you know what I mean? Like, with, with sex scenes and stuff. Because I think when they had the premiere, they showed uh, the Lisa character, like, oh, oh, my God, like, this is in the movie. Like, this scene is in the movie or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, like like you said, she's just mortified. Like, you, you, you just could never know. Like, in the moment, you, you just could never know the ramifications of, like, what's going to happen next because of that. Yeah, and I... I'm- 
Yeah, you're on. You're on. Oh, no, so, yeah, I keep, keep forgetting that like, I've, I've made it so I don't hear myself in the headphones is because we had a bunch of technical difficulties back when I, I was doing that whole thing on GarageBand. I, no, I, I agree, and I think it's very uncomfortable. It's very terrible that the way she was treated, but that is one way in which the movie doesn't really hold back in regards to Tommy. Like He, do, he does not come across well in those scenes. Yeah, and it's it, cringeworthy and, as fuck. It, it's cringeworthy, but it's also like really like it's i think it's beyond that it's like very like insensitive and um and chauvinistic in a way that he feels like he can just treat her that way and, and point out those things about her body like that like that doesn't put him in the nicest light so while they might sure. not they might not have gone all in on the creepy relationship with greg i don't i don't i don't i don't think they made him out to be a saint and i think that no and i think uh, i think it's a good thing that like it's probably a good thing that the movie did show that kind of stuff too at the same time yeah no, I agree, but at the same time, they're they're also using that as like, uh, what do you call it? As like a example of like what we typical Hollywood director would say some shit like that, right? Like that's what Tommy thinks after you know being around the movie movie industry in L.A. and whatever, whatever. He's like, well, this is how directors talk to women on set, right? Like this is the idea he has because of whatever countless terrible stories he's heard and we've heard now. You know what I mean? Like. That that's sort of it's sort of like a metaphor for directors in Hollywood being scumbags at the same time as as well as Tommy being an asshole. I have to show my ass to sell this film, Greg. (laughs) 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 Which is, I mean, you guys, I mean, in the room, Tommy thought of himself as this sex symbol, this sex guy, and that he and that probably came through in his, you know, opinion that he can tell a woman how to act and how she should ideally look and. And yeah, I mean that yeah, is I, so. Really, I was listening to. So uh, I was listening to James Franco on Mark Maron's podcast, and he said that he thinks Tommy has some kind of like um, reverse body dysmorphia disease, where it's like a lot of times how like people that are anorexic or bulimic will like they'll be skinny, but they think they're fat. Whereas like Tommy thinks he actually like looks like James Dean, even though he <laughs> he looks like Tommy. Which I mean, it makes sense given. I'm sure what you read in the book and what we are shown in the movie and just the fact that he casts himself in the lead role and obviously sees himself as some kind of like leading traditional handsome leading man, even though it's, he's anything but that I'd say. Yeah. So he was so caught up in what he wanted to be that it, obviously he lacked a lot of perspective and I mean, (laughs) we're missing the main point. No one even knows if Tommy Wiseau is his real name. Yeah, no, I mean he 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 probably changed his name. No, one, I mean he's from like Lithuania or something, Latvia. No one knows how he got the name Tommy. No one knows who his parents are. No one knows his exact age. I've heard that he's in his mid sixties. Um, no one knows any of these things, and that only adds kind of to the legacy of it. But it also shows where this guy's mindset is at, where he thinks that you know he can just create this image for himself and everyone just has to go along with it and that kind of shows itself through films like if he thinks that something is a good idea he thinks it's the best idea possible doesn't listen to any other critique so to speak and that definitely comes through in every aspect of the film mm-hmm. yeah yeah and um, and the 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 ego is obviously just apparent and just like you said you ran through it earlier at the, at the beginning when you asked you about it with how just how the movie got made and how unprecedented like all of it was but he i think the movie does do a fairly good job of just conveying the the confidence and abandon reckless abandon with which he just went forward just assuming he could he could throw money at everything and he's gonna be he's gonna be okay like that was that was one of the more interesting things to me and you touched on it, it was like the whole the whole hd camera versus the um or the digital versus the film and the and and then just 
the, the amount of money that poured in, was poured into it for the amount of money that it looked like it was made. It, I mean, it's just kind of amazing, and it, it does go to it does definitely go to his hubris, and the movie certainly captures that uh, fairly well. And I I don't even know if it was laugh out loud funny like I expected it to be, but I I just kind of enjoyed seeing these actors uh, tell this story. And get, get, like I said, I well I might have liked I, well, I like Dave Franco the best. I thought the I mean going on the same journey with Tommy and seeing everything that he went through to make the movie was uh, certainly pr- pretty interesting to me, at least. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I keep, well, sorry, no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. The one thing I keep coming back to when I, when I talk about, cause we're trying to break down, I mean, I, I want, I'm trying to find what I really, really don't like with this. And, and what I keep coming back to is that it's, it's clear from the movie about how James Franco and Dave Franco felt about Tommy Wiseau. And the one thing that gives a lot more life to the book is how this this kind of timeline of Greg Sestero's life is spliced between with Sestero's own investigations into who Tommy was over the years. I mean, it's an entirely kind of a investigative project that he takes on to find out where Tommy came from, how he made his money, and it really like he delves into you know Tommy working as a dishwasher in France in his early twenties and and saving all his money and living in a ghetto and those aspects of it make you actually feel for the guy knowing that he you know put his entire works you know put his entire life into working to make an absolute failure it's hard to come to read that and not come away feeling for him and and that's what if I'm lamenting about anything that the movie misses the disaster artist misses it's these aspects that give tommy real life i mean this is supposed to be a well, flagship the, clothing store and we don't even know well, that's the other anything thing I about him yeah you know all this by reading the book but like at the end of the movie like one of the title cards is like no one knows his still still no one knows his age or or or, or is or is where, how he made where, all his money where he's from where he got his money so like they i i mean from what i've read about the movie like they tried to be pretty faithful to the book and they read the book and all that stuff and it's kind of weird that like I, I, I'm just learning about this now from you. I just kind of took the movie at their word on that and that everyone's still – like I had read maybe on Wikipedia or something that they thought Tommy might have gotten his money through like shady real estate investing deals in Eastern Europe or something like that. And that was my best guess until talking to you about this whole clothing thing. So it is kind of weird that the movie – I mean you could still make it a mystery because at the time they didn't know where he got the money from. So I, I mean – I guess that's why they didn't tell us in the movie because they really didn't know at the time. So they want to they want to show how confused everyone was about it. But it, it does, yeah. Like they maybe could have revealed a little bit more about him without like kind of ruining the mystery that surrounded him throughout the making of the movie or throughout the making of the room. So those those scenes with Chris R in the room where it's uh I think it's Zach, Zach Efron, Efron who plays it. Yeah, absolutely. God, he was a great so job great. Playing Chris R, which great. is one of the worst names ever. Chris hyphen. I didn't even recognize him. Like I knew he was in the movie and then I forgot he was in the movie till the end of the movie. I was like, oh shit, that was Zach Efron. So so in that scene, that that's the only scene when they filmed that scene, this is where in the in the book, from what I remember, where Sestero started launching his investigation into Tommy's life because they go to this building in San Francisco and Tommy says, Oh, I have building we can use. We go to roof and it's this huge clothing store. I'm trying to remember. I'm, I think it's like street fashions or something like that. They go to this huge clothing store and Tommy's just like, Oh, I have this. Yeah. Six story building. And that's when Tommy's er, where Greg is like, okay, who is this dude? Because they, after filming in like a fake alleyway and a fake building and all this stuff, he just, Tommy has a natural building with a great view of the San Francisco skyline to just use. And that's kind of what triggers the investigation. And the fact that they didn't even delve into all those things were kind of things I was missing because like I said, those give him a lot of life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I, I what just... are you thinking, Anthony? 
I know. I just think it's more of them wanting to make it an ode to like the film more than anything else. Like that's what they care about more than who Tommy, you know what I mean? Than Tommy's background and stuff, because it doesn't ultimately matter with regards to this movie sucks. And, but we love it kind of thing. Well, so I think, I think that's sort of how they feel about it. So would you say overall you were just like, it was fine. That's your overall verdict, Anthony. Yeah. Cause I think, yeah, it, it well, cause I think it's interesting. We're talking about this movie in this point in time, cause we're a couple days away from recording our last Jedi podcast. And I think, uh, you've had, you've had a lot of, you've had a, you've had a time for lack of a better term, just discussing it with friends of yours that are massive star Wars fans and how, like a lot of people just automatically like it because they're nostalgic and they're gonna like any Star Wars thing. And, and stupid, yeah, yeah. And I think and I, okay, I, I I didn't say that. You said that, but like I think <laughs> I think it's a, it, this is an interesting test case for something like that because like it's obviously gonna like we discussed earlier. It's gonna connect with some people that just love the room and are gonna like content about it and appreciate these performers and the and like the writing of the disaster artist. But uh, I think to a certain extent, like the movie should find should be appealing if it wants to consider itself like a good movie it needs to at least be appealing Agreed. to people that don't have i mean like you can't make it like the room even though it's become a cult classic it's still a cult you know like it's not like yeah. you're not gonna you're not gonna get anywhere awards or box office wise only a showing to the people that are big fans of the room so like i think it does it should it should try it should need it should it should have aimed to appeal to a broader audience than that and you fall into that broader audience demographic sure. i'd say so yeah. i'm just curious to see where you're at on it and you're just like it's fine and yeah. i haven't talked to that many other people about it yet so i was just, that's why i was yeah. curious to kind of see where you're at because it's another thing in which you don't have that level of nostalgia with it so how did that perform for you as opposed to something like star sure. wars that's why i was kind of curious to talk to you about this one yeah yeah no i completely understand it's we talked to it's like when we talked to rachel about thor she doesn't give like you shouldn't give a fuck about the marvel cinematic universe right but like she still liked the movie, and I think that's yeah. a testament to the filmmaker and the movie to be able to both reach audiences that don't care about the the former derivative content and then People that audiences like that are super invested. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, this movie – I mean, I had, like, negative interest in seeing it. I was like, I really didn't want to go to the theater to see it. <laughs> um, I, I, I didn't hate it. If it was 30 minutes longer, I probably would have hated it. Fair enough. Fair enough. So. Man, that is where we absolutely differ. <laughs> I could I could well, watch yeah, sure, but the, movie. This the stuff you want to see in the movie wouldn't have fit in this particular iteration of the movie, I think. Right. That's true. That's true. I would like so. a, I would like a director's cut. Sure. I mean, and there might be. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. So Graham, I, I I assume you'd give it like what, 9 out of 10, you'd recommend I would go, go I would it. go 8.5 out of 10, but that's probably cuz I'm my standards are a little bit higher just in terms sure. of what I wanted to see it. I feel like if sure. I had only watched the room, like the 50 so times that I have that I would have come away a lot more <laughs> impressed if I had had a lot of the mystery still standing there. But I sure. feel like a lot of, uh, Josh, I actually just sent you a link that yeah, is a uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. I, I, had um, seen, I had seen that on, uh, on IMDb at some point, but I just kind of assumed that it was just a guess. Like Graham sent me a link to IMDb published, like sure. I thought about this when I, asked you when i brought up maybe he'd be in his 60s i I know that i read somewhere that some people have delved into his history and looked up how old he really was and the sparking of the disaster artist led to you know reddit investigators to uh find out everything there is to know about him and his alleged mob ties and having money in the 80s and um those things are 
Yeah. But, but but if you're going off of this link that Graham sent me, I think it is, does kind of tie into just uh, thinking a little bit about the room and everything like that is that it, it, t- Tommy's possibly from Poland and born in the 50s. So he's it's like just in the wake of like the of like the like kind of going on during the start of the Cold War, but post like born 10 years after the end of World War Two. And like Poland's just like a recovering Eastern Bloc country that was that's like had been under like German control and eventually has to deal with a lot of the cold war stuff and like probably grew up, might've just grown up in poverty and seen like, this is another thing that Franco was saying on uh, the WTF podcast is like, just think about the room as something where it's like Tommy, so, when he was younger, just growing up poor in an Eastern Bloc country, sees like his first American movie, whether it's like Rebel Without a Cause or something else like that. And he's then just like inspired and thinks like, look, if I can make it into those movies, like life will be great. And just think of him as like a guy that, lived his whole life from from that point on just thinking that and then yeah. you can kind of that that kind of the, the room is like the uh, the room is an example of when someone that doesn't have really the skills or the wherewithal or the knowledge well, to do something like that pursues that dream but the disaster artist kind of is just a retelling of that story you know so sestero makes it pretty clear that he when he met why so why so had talked about american culture and idolized it but then they go and see a movie together in in the late 90s talented the talented mr ripley oh, great movie, movie obviously yeah. And 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 why so had never seen it. And the reason Sestero made him watch it, from what I remember, is that he was like, this guy really reminds me just the predatory behavior of wanting to be like him. Matt Damon's character really, really reminded. Am I thinking is it Matt Damon's character? Who's the who's the weird? Yeah, one? It's, it's Matt Damon. It's yeah, a, OK. It's, yeah. And so he, he's instantly thinking like. Sestero saw a lot of Wiseau in Matt Damon's character, but Wiseau doesn't see it that way. He's like, oh, man, I want to make a movie just like this. And it's it's believed that the character Mark was because Wiseau got Matt Damon's name wrong and <laughs> thought it was Mark Damon. And those are just things that add to it about how Sestero was trying to point out to Wiseau how he was being weird like this guy. And Tommy totally didn't see it. Yeah. And those things that are just conveyed in the book that you're not going to – Tom, those anecdotes are make it their flesh out their relationship more than the movie ever could have. Tommy, sure. t- Tommy probably saw himself as the Jude Law character, Dickie Greenleaf. He's like, I'm just, the, yes. I'm just like the cool, <laughs> handsome, suave, rich guy that hangs out in Paris or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, Josh, Josh, final thoughts? What uh, you oh, no, recommended? Like I said, I really, like, I really liked it. I mean, I just talking about it with you guys, like I'm. I don't know. I'm a little conflicted. Like, I mean, I, I, I think of this stuff on like kind of like a, a five star rating because I, I post my stuff on sure. Letterboxd and that's how they do it now. So I suppose like eight and a half, eight and a half out of ten. I, I might have initially said like four and a half stars, but like after talking about it and thinking about it a little more, like I might go down to like just four because like at first I was just like, yeah, maybe you could have gotten a little darker and. Like I said, I wanted maybe yes. maybe a little more of them hanging out on the set, but I'm just not really sure. Like I'm probably going to keep thinking about this after we talk about it because I think it's an interesting thing that we're talking about is like how dark can you make this thing and still have it fit in the same movie? Like Graham's saying he wants it longer. Anthony would have hated it if he was longer, which I can understand if it's someone that's like not totally there for the movie in the first place. But it's like I'm kind of wondering like is that an unrealistic expectation of me to like think they can just add like 25 minutes of it being like some stalker scenes and other stuff too, yes. but like how would it turn out? And like, do I actually want more of that? Cause I thoroughly enjoyed it. Might not have laughed out as much as I want, but like I'd give it like a, a B plus four out of five for sure. At least. And maybe more, maybe less. Like I'm going to think about it more. Cause I, I don't know. Like I think there's other things you could have done with this movie, but I, I still really enjoyed it. And I really got a lot out of the performances. Um, the, the two main performances, but I thought all the cameos were pretty fun and stuff like that too. Like, uh, like I said, I, yeah. we, we briefly mentioned Zac Efron, but it's, it's cool when they get random guys like him and Nathan Fiedler and Hannibal Burris to like kind of do stuff also. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, Graham, yeah. Graham, do we have a new co-host? This is Denzel. <laughs> <laughs> He's a very bitey cat. 
<laughs> Sorry, just jumped up here. Um, yeah, see, that's that's where I kind of differ because if there was 20 more minutes of them just you know hanging out on set and bantering, I would have felt that those were minutes that should have been used for critical aspects of the film that I that I thought were left out. So that's why I say like. I would have been cool if it was two hours and 15 minutes if you got all that in. And it also showed just their small talk on set to show that these guys were just two people struggling to live out their dreams. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's you got to find a middle ground. It, the only way I think it could have been fixed is if is if it's longer. And then you alienate a huge portion of people, cut out a lot of your ticket proceeds, the less chance of yeah. you know casual viewers getting sucked in, stuff like that. So I know definitely a tough middle ground to appease the room faithful. And and let's not get it wrong. There are some people out there. It's called a cult classic for a reason. There are people out there who hate the disaster artist because it did not feature every single bit of the book. And in that sense, they think that the room is, is, is actually a good movie. And those people <laughs> not saying that they're right, but they are the people that you're ultimately catering this movie to while trying to appeal it to every single, every, everyone else. So I definitely think that, it was probably a, a a tougher balance than anyone's probably giving anyone credit for. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, they definitely wanted to make it mainstream, and and like yeah, and that's a it's a it's a tough challenge. I mean, there's actually a good chance that it's going to get a screenplay nomination at the Oscars. Like it, 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 it changed the name for a while. Yeah, it was the um, it was, it was the masterpiece. masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that was originally just to distance itself from from the book so that people wouldn't be expecting an absolute perfect rendition of Sestero's story and just be inspired by his book. But then they realized there was enough clamor that it had to be pretty faithful, which is, you can see that there were, the fans were kind of affecting the production. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, um, all right. Well, yeah, I think we had a good discussion. Uh, you want to plug your social media, Graham? <laughs> you guys can follow me at Graham Hall underscore if you want to follow any FSU coaching hires or any other news like <laughs> national, that. National, uh, national coaching yeah. hires. <laughs> Graham's on it. Nah, you guys are the best. Absolutely. Well, Thanks for having me on. This is always yeah, fun. Man. Yeah. You know what? I was supposed to see The Last Jedi. Not to change subjects real quick. I was supposed Don't to see The Last it. Jedi yesterday. Oh, man. But I had even bought tickets. But I woke up Sunday night with the worst food poisoning oh, I've ever had. And That's it was the worst 24 hours ever. Yeah, so I just had to go without me. <laughs> if, if, you can, if, you can, if you can tell, Anthony didn't have the most positive feelings about The Last Jedi. Um, I don't know if have we have we done a podcast where Anthony has loved a movie yet? It's Cloverfield. No, he, he loved Cloverfield. Cloverfield. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's like eighteen months now, man. We've only done, <laughs> we've, we've only done three that? of these, but uh, maybe, maybe what was right. the one we what was the one we did before this one? What, what do we do? Do we do spectacular now? No, 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 no. no, no, no. no. What, what we, we just we, did we, one like, like six, a couple weeks we ago. Like six weeks ago. What was um, it? Oh, uh, oh, oh, yeah, he hated that. Yeah, yeah. Which one? Killing of a Sacred Deer. Oh yeah, it was trash. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and Graham, maybe the next one will get more lucky. Like I said, we're we're, we're definitely gonna have Graham on for the Cloverfield sequel, which I think is like late spring, well, early summer. I wanted to like Killing of a Sacred Deer. I admitted I know. that. Yeah. I think you want to go in like in every movie, and that may be your problem, man. It's been a rough year with Anthony at the movies. Like we need him to fall back in love with him. It's been a rough year for every man, everyone, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Josh, plug your social media. At Josh Jernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y, and I'm usually helming the 52 and 52 Twitter, which is at 52 in 52 pod. Give it a follow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can find me at A-Clambake, A-K-L-A-M-B-A-K-E, podcast email, a, a, a 52 and 52 pod at gmail.com. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.